Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning, Husky fans. It's Christmas Day. It's Fourth of July. It's Thanksgiving. It's Valentine's Day. It's Easter. It's whatever holiday you love to celebrate. If you're a recruit, Nick, you you just love today because today is the day that recruits from all across the nation, including the 15 players committed to the University of Washington, are going to sign their letters of intent and and basically sign four years of their life away, or one year, or Six months, depending on how how long guys uh, end up staying committed, but uh, or staying enrolled at a school. But with all the changes, even with all the changes, a lot of these guys are basically planning out the next four or five years of their life. And and uh, I've got Brandon Huffman joining me from Two Four Seven Sports. He is the national recruiting editor. Um, and the guy that we kind of go to for a lot of our, a lot of our, our analysis, Brandon, how are you doing this morning? Oh, you named all those holidays today is, or I guess it's April 15th tax day. The end yeah, of um, in a way. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And it, and it drains me like tax day does. Yes, it does. And we're, and, and I'm very thankful to have you because, well, uh, <laughs> Um, we attempted to do this uh, earlier, and I forgot to hit record, or I hit record twice, and it stopped recording. So whatever happened, we're doing this again. So thank you, Brandon, for giving me your, your time and giving Husky fans your time on this podcast. Just real quick, I don't want to go too deep into it, but Brandon, you've been with Scout now. I'm sorry, <laughs> I did it again. 247 Sports for... Uh, CBS Interactive for 18, well, and the, the, all the machinations for about 18 years, right? This is your 18th recruiting cycle? Yep, 18th recruiting cycle, 18th signing day, or 22nd if you count the, the previous early signing days. But yeah, started doing this in the spring of 2003, and here I am finding myself wrapping up yet another class in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, how You know, one thing uh, I've, I've wondered is how hard was this class to really feel like you had a good handle on it from an evaluation standpoint? You know, I had that conversation with someone earlier this week and that we either are going to completely mis-evaluate this class or perfectly evaluate this class because so much of it was based on film alone. There's a number of players that we never got to see in person because there was no spring evaluation period. There's been no season out west in a majority of the states. And a lot of players, the only time you've gotten to see them was based on huddle on a Twitter video or something. So, you know, either we perfectly evaluated because we just focused on the film or we missed a lot of growth and development. So it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of film watching because that's really what's only been available. So I guess the results will kind of speak for themselves in the next three to four years. And I mean, and the coaches are kind of in the same situation you are in the, in the sense that they only have film to go by. 
and they only have other people's word. And how is this guy developing? Because they haven't seen him play in over a year. I think that's one of the worries that coaches do have with the inability to get out on the road is, you know, they're essentially having to take the word of a kid in his height and his weight and his true measurements and what his development says, what his work ethic is said, because they haven't had a chance to see some of these guys in person. I mean, there's a number of recruits committed to major power five programs that have never seen the coaches. The coaches have never seen them. They committed sight unseen and the coaches took their commitment sight unseen. So you know, this is one of those where you really have to trust your judgment. You really have to trust your evaluations and trust your ability to evaluate and hope that your ability to find what you're looking for on film can essentially you know, be guaranteed without ever having the luxury of seeing these guys in person. And um, of Washington's, you mentioned about the visits and being shut down and the dead period and all that kind of stuff. Uh, of Washington's 15 uh, commits in this class, seven on offense, eight on defense. I'm looking at it and just going over the numbers, it looks to me like really there's about seven or eight guys who never actually got to meet with the coaches on campus. Now, some of them came up and did unofficial visits where they did self-guided tours and the coaches gave them itineraries and they got to see the city. But for the most part, you're talking about half the class hasn't even been on campus to meet with the coaches in person. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest issues that that coaches have had is that they've really only been able to get to know guys based on social media, based on Zoom, based on FaceTime. And on the flip side, kids are making the biggest decisions of their career and of their life based on a virtual tour that a couple people in the engineering department put together. So there's a <laughs> lot of trust going in. Nothing against the engineers who put those. Some of those virtual yeah. <laughs> tours have been fantastic, but there's nothing like being on a game day setting at the school that you're looking at to get a feel for the crowd, to get a feel for the state, to get a feel for the facilities and the venue, to get a feel for the weather, all that. And I think that, you know, this is going to have to be really, I think, identified as the most trustworthy class and the trustworthy coaching staff, you know, in recruiting history, because a lot of trust is being built with a lot less opportunity for trust to be built in person it's all being done. I mean, it's like online dating at its finest here. And there's essentially marriage that's coming along with it that guys are committing based on what they saw on a three to four inch screen. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. These kids have to make these decisions. These coaches whose jobs, you know, multi-million dollar paying jobs are reliant on getting the right guys into their system. And and you could be talking about this class, the twenty twenty one recruiting class could be the most mobile of any of the recruiting classes. By that, I mean, you could see more guys transferring. And I don't know if we, if anyone is keeping a, a database on guys transferring in each recruiting class, but I would bet that you see way more transfers, um, guys going to other schools or just not, not finishing out their careers with schools more than you would in other recruiting classes. That's just my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, with the NCA likely to pass the one-time transfer rule in 2021 in January, so next month, that is going to create even more of a open floodgates of transfers in a year from now and 15 months from now. And I think that because that's looming, you're seeing guys making decisions with the caveat in the back of their mind that, hey, if it doesn't work out, if I don't like it, if it's not the right fit, I can transfer without being punished. The danger there is that, and we saw a stat earlier this week, 
Just because you go into the transfer portal doesn't mean you come out of the transfer portal. And I think that that's kind of the one wild card here that a lot of recruits are kind of ignoring. Um, And as you said, there's going to be a larger amount of guys going into the transfer portal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a destination to go to when it's all said and done, because there's a lot of guys that might be leaving and there might be some schools that are probably a little bit more hesitant to take recruits. And so it's going to be fascinating to see with the balancing of the roster, with the potential with this year, not counting for eligibility, how many people are going to be on scholarship, how coaches are going to be able to do that. I saw a stat yesterday or earlier this week that in the past two weeks, there've been nearly 200 players that have entered the transfer portal. And another stat said that during the 2018-19 cycle, 54% of the former three-star better transfers didn't stay in the FBS. They were having to go down. So again, just because you're in the portal doesn't mean you're going to have a great destination. So guys are going to have to take that into consideration. All right, uh, Brandon, let's get into this. Uh, Washington has a class of 15 guys. All 15 are expected to sign their letters of intent today. The the uh, first um, letters should start rolling in here right around 6 o'clock in the morning. And, and uh, it's going to be a kind of crazy time here for about a couple hours as we just – get used to, you know, or not get used to, but start figuring out who is signed, who's got the proper signatures and all that kind of stuff. And the, the Washington Husky uh, athletic department makes it official by, by announcing the signing of each player. But uh, let's get into this offensively. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. The number one recruit in the class top, what is he top 15 in the nation, top 20 in the nation, whatever he is. And uh, uh, Sam Hewer, the, the number one pro-style quarterback in the entire country out of Kennedy Catholic, 6'2", 190 pounds, uh, made the call really early. And you, I'm sure you can relate that story here in just a second, but made the call really early, probably would have had offers from pretty much every school in the country if, if he had waited. Yeah, and I think, you know, he still had schools that were trying to see just how loyal he was to the Huskies, and the answer to that is pretty dang loyal with the Husky blood he's got pumping through his veins. Um, I remember you and I were walking into the KJR studio to do the, I think it was the 2018 Apple Cup uh, pregame show. Pregame, yeah, pregame show, yeah. And he committed, and we got him on the air just a few moments after that, but that was one of those that was just a matter of time when he got the offer. I think it was two weeks later that he committed, you and I were both there at that first start in Husky Stadium in 2017, and you got to see a Heward. And I know that obviously you spent more time in Husky Stadium in the 90s watching his dad and his uncle play inside Husky Stadium. So it was probably a surreal moment for you. But you know, even that day, you got to see some throws that he made. Some of his receivers who are signing with Pac-12 schools tomorrow get to be a part of it. And that was the first game of what would be the National Freshman of the Year campaign. And he's only gotten better since. Yeah, I mean, just such a smooth delivery, effortless. He has a strong enough arm to make every throw you want. He, he's not going to be that guy who's going to throw it 70, 80 yards in the air or anything like that. But you don't need to do that in football. You know, if you can throw it 60, you know, 50 yards on a line or whatever, I, I, I think he's he's got everything you need in a quarterback to be very successful in college and possibly even in the pros. Well, and I think the other thing about him, too, is even though he plays in a system like the air raid at Kennedy Catholic, he's not a system quarterback. He's not a player that 
can only throw the ball and can only be in a, in a system like the air raid. He can be in a pro style. He can be in a spread. He can be in just about everything but the option. I know Kim's been pushing for years to have him ranked as a dual threat based on Sam's vertical jump. Uh, but I think, you know, <laughs> Sam, it would be a waste to have him running the option and pitching the ball. So, you know, Navy, Army, Air Force stand down. I think that this guy could fit in just about any offense that a coach wants an elite passing quarterback to be in, and he flourished. You made a mention of his wide receiver signing today. Junior Alexander is going to sign with Arizona State, um, and he's got another one that, that's been a prolific receiver, and, and actually you had him rated a little bit higher than Junior Alexander, I think, initially, and then Junior has kind of gone past him. Jabez Tanay, a slot receiver for Kennedy Catholic, 6'1", 187 pounds, really has struggled the last couple of years with some, I don't want to call them minor injuries because he did rupture his spleen, but um, you know, stuff that has kept him out for a few weeks here and there, but uh, still has put up some pretty prolific numbers over the last three years. Yeah. And I think he's another one of those players that, you know, you, you look at and he may not necessarily be the flashiest, sexiest player uh, in, when you look at a receiver, but he's what you would call a workmanlike receiver. He's a guy that if you need three yards, he'll get you four. If you need 10 yards, he'll get you 11. He's a consistent pass catcher. He kind of reminds me a lot of those receivers at New England that Tom Brady had where, yeah, he might've had a Randy Moss. He might've had some big play receivers, but then he always found, you know, his Julian Edelman, his Wes Welker, the guy that he knew he could count on. He's been that safety valve of Sam Heward for three years, whether it was in seven on seven. Actually, it's been longer than that because those guys played youth ball together. They played middle school seven on seven together. And they've been playing really five, six years where they both have a sixth sense of what the other's thinking. And you see that chemistry. And that's something that I don't think can you can really uh, truly value until you see them at work on the field. You get to see just how well they work together. Let's talk to the let's talk about the guys who are tasked with keeping Sam uh, his his jersey clean, and that's the guys who are up front. Washington got one really good one, and one who we think could be pretty good, but he's he's very raw. And uh, a guy that you saw, um, and and at a camp, and were pretty impressed with, or at least that was the initial word that you you gave me. I don't know if he's continued to be that impressed, but let's talk about Jordan Worsh, uh, um, a kid out of uh, Northern California. I'm sorry, I said Jordan Worsh, Robert Worsh out of uh, Northern California at Soquel uh, High School in California. Offensive tackle, 6'7", 270 pounds, and really just tapping into what he can do. Yeah, he's a player that I think as he continues to develop, he's got the frame, the athleticism, the length, the size to potentially be a contributor down the line. But he's probably a year or two away from getting to that point just because he's still relatively new to the game. Uh, but he's got the optimal frame and size to be a, a guy that you get into the weight program. You get into the nutrition program. You get the right weight on him. He still doesn't have a lot of bad habits because he's relatively new to the game. So while he might be learning some things, you know, you're not having to break five, six, seven years a bad technique that a lot of players come into college with. And so there's a lot of upside. He's certainly an upside play. He may not be a guy that's ready to play tomorrow, but he's a guy that you give him a year or two to really develop physically. And he has a chance to be a multi-year contributor and starter. And uh, the other guy that I want to talk about, four-star, the second highest rated player in this recruiting class, four-star offensive lineman out of O'Day, Owen Prentice, 6'3", 295 pounds, big dude, Really well, well spoken and and kind of soft spoken off of the field. Very, very engaging and all that kind of stuff. 
But the second he steps on that line, straps on that chin strap, man, that guy just a, a switch gets flipped with him. Absolutely. And I think that that's what makes him such a great player is that between the lines, he's a monster. He's an animal. I mean, he might be a true guard prospect. And I know guard prospects aren't always as appealing as tackle prospects, but you need guys that are just pure run blocking guys that'll get out there, knock dudes heads off that they can pull, they can whip around and, and really seal off running lanes for their backs. And here's a kid that comes from an O'Day program that's been known to run the ball ground and pound. And it's not going to be a big jump for him because he's been playing at a high level. He started as a freshman at O'Day when they won the state championship back in 2017 and was one of the most impressive linemen we saw that year. And he was a freshman. So he's only gotten stronger, only gotten bigger and a player that I anticipate going to play early in his career for the Huskies. And he was a guy that uh, you and I went and were at the Husky football camp and we were talking with someone pretty close to him. And that person said, if Washington offers, I think that's where he's going because that's where mom wants him to go. Right. So you and I had a race to see yeah. who could get the crystal ball prediction in. And well, then, you know, you're going to have the edge there because yeah, you got just just barely. Yeah. But also, actually, I put the crystal ball in first. My mistake was that I knew Stanford was making a huge push and was very much a threat to Washington. So I went cloudy for a minute when all the reports I was getting was that Stanford was very much a threat and he might have been leaning there. And ultimately went back to Washington. Uh, but I think that also speaks to a bigger thing. I think he was the first player since probably what? Elijah Molden, who yep. Washington recruited that got admitted in Stanford and still picked Washington. And, and that should tell you, you know, what the pool that the Huskies had with him is that he went through the whole academic and application process with Stanford, not just getting the offer, but doing the application was admitted. And then a few weeks later, committed to the Huskies. Yeah, and um, my you had a lot of the inside knowledge. So did I. I mean, I knew that Stanford was coming after him hard, and he was really considering it. My the only reason I'm I'm I look better than you on that is because I had blind faith. <laughs> that was about it. So um, I, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna claim I had any more knowledge than you on that. Let's talk about the two tight ends in this class: Quentin Moore, Caden Jumper. Both of them fill different roles for the Washington Huskies. Quentin Moore is a 6'5", 6'6", 245-pounder out of Inglemore High School, but had to go out, uh, didn't have the grades when he came out of high school, so went out to uh, Independence, Kansas, to Independence uh, Community College out there. Decent program, uh, has produced quite a few talented kids. Uh, didn't have a big season from a stat standpoint, but he told me one of the things he went out there and told the coaches he wanted to do was he wanted to work on being an every-down tight end, which meant he had to learn how to block because this was a guy who played basically as a big wide receiver up at Inglemore. Give me your thoughts on him, where, how he's improved, because I know that we didn't have a ton of film on him. And also, Washington had to go up. Durham Cato had to recruit. You would think it would be a relatively easy get since his mom wanted him here. He grew up with this school or wanting to go to this school. But, I mean, he had tons of schools after him, like 25 offers. Yeah, and ultimately the Huskies, the hometown pool, won over his father's alma mater, Oklahoma State, where it appeared he was heading before the Huskies offered. Uh, you know, he had played at, like you said, at Inglemore, but his dad played at Oklahoma State before being drafted by the Seahawks, which made Quentin a Seattle native. But the Cowboys were a school that really tugged at the heartstrings. He said it was a school he grew up watching, uh, obviously for family reasons, but the Huskies were kind of the dream school that were 
pretty much unattainable for him in high school because of his academics. Interestingly enough, the first time I'd seen him play was his junior year against Bothell High School. And at that time, Jacob Sermon was a senior at Bothell. Chris Peterson was there at that game. Jonathan Smith, who was still the offensive coordinator for the Huskies, was there at that game. And they were there to watch Jacob Sermon play. But it was the opportunity for Quinton Moore to kind of make a name for himself early on. He made a couple plays for a pretty poor Inglemore team that showed some upside there. Got to see him a little bit in the spring, uh, that next spring in 2018 on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. But he kind of knew early on in the recruiting process that his academics were going to be tough to overcome. So he kind of knew he was headed to a JUCO. And to his credit, he went to the JUCO, buckled down those academics, and now he's on track to graduate and be enrolled at Washington and you know potentially be an impact guy as early as next fall. And then Caden Jumper, a kid whose dad uh, is Brandon Jumper, right? Is that his name? Brandon Jumper, yeah. Brandon Jumper, yeah. He went to Oregon, but that guy – loves the Huskies and his his whole family loves the Huskies and he plays at a school kind of off the beaten path that doesn't get a lot of coaches roaming through it and uh, didn't really play tight end in in high school and he's 6'3 245 pounds just kind of one of those old lunch pail bring you know physical guys that that really they need to figure out a position for I think that's what you kind of have to do in a year like this where you just kind of take good football players. And maybe they aren't necessarily the guys that, you know, are like specific positions, I guess is the best way I'm trying to put it, that you don't necessarily, you know, have guys that slide into a position, but that kind of give you some, uh, you know, potential and some versatility to play many positions. Is he a fullback? Is he an H-back? Is he a tight end? You know, could he be a short yardage quarterback could he be a running back I mean could he be four or five different things and I think the answer to that is yes I mean if you go look at his junior film it's a lot of him playing quarterback for Eatonville and so obviously he's a guy who just want to get the ball in his hands and at Eatonville High School it's one of those classic cases where you have a good football player you find ways to let him make plays for you and I think that that's what Caden Jumper is he's a guy that's going to make plays for you no matter what you ask him to do whether it's blocking somebody whether it's making a catch whether it's getting you a couple yards running the ball whether it's just clearing the lane for somebody else to get by him I think he'll be that jack of all trades that'll pretty much do whatever he's asked all right, and one more spot on the offensive side, and a guy that, you know, a position that usually gets a lot more notice, but because he committed so early and he struggled with some injuries this year, Caleb Berry is a guy who not a lot of people are talking about, but you watch his film, Brandon, he's not in your area, he's a Texas kid, he's out of Lufkin, Texas, six foot, six one, 215 pounds. Big kid, physical, can run downhill and kind of what Washington is looking for. But give me your thoughts on him. And it looks like his best two offers were Texas Tech and Arkansas before he committed to Washington. Yeah, I kind of liken Lufkin kids to maybe some kids in Tacoma or maybe kids that are, you know, out in Fresno, guys that maybe aren't in necessarily the big city but guys that are in parts of the country where, you know, there's a good football tradition where there's good football played and they got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because maybe they don't get the attention or the adulation that the bigger city kids do. So at Lufkin, you're not at Katie, you're not at, um, you know, Allen, you're not at 
Austin Westlake or Lake Travis, you're a little bit more of a rural area, not a small school by any means, uh, but a player where you kind of have a place where you have to make a bigker name for yourself. And, you know, if you want to look down the last time Keith Bonifa went down into the state of Texas to find a running back, it was Jay Ajayi who turned out to be an NFL draft pick and an all Mountain West guy multiple times for Boise State. Yeah, and they do. They did get uh, JB on Sunday last season, but we haven't even seen him on the field, so we don't really know what what uh, they have yet with him. All right, let's take a break here. Get a word from our sponsor. When we get back, we'll go through the defensive guys, and we're going to take a look ahead for 2022-2023 in the state and also out here on the West Coast. Let you guys know what some of the the really strong position groups are in those two classes over the next couple of years. Thanks for listening to the guys from Dogman.com. On Dogman Radio. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back, everyone. We're here with Brandon Huffman. I'm Scott Eklund, and we're going through Washington's 2021 recruiting class. We've already done the offensive side. We're working on the defensive side, and we're going to get you guys some some information on 2022 and 2023 kids. So definitely listen through here to the very end of this podcast. Brandon, let's move right over to the defensive side of the ball. We'll start off with the big uglies up front, the guys who really kind of make things run in Washington's defense. It really starts and ends up front for them. And Void Tanufi, Quo Pehapa, and Siosi Finau are the guys that uh, we're going to be talking about here over the next couple minutes. Void Tanufi is a four-star pros, or I'm sorry, a high three-star prospect out of Utah East High School. They're kind of the what would you say East is compared to um, high schools, maybe in California or Washington? Would you say like a Bothell, Woodenville kind of comp- comparison for the state of Washington? In terms of location, or just in terms of their no, football just like ability? their power. Yeah, the football program, the power school. I- I mean, it, it, I would probably liken it more to, again, like a Lincoln High School, but if Lincoln was in Seattle, maybe a Rainier Beach, too, given their recent success where, you know, they're they're not a suburban school. They're right there in the heart. I mean, you could almost throw a rock from the East Campus to the University of Utah campus. That's how close Utah is to East High School. And obviously, there's been a long tradition of in-state kids going to the University of Utah and really flourishing and maybe not being recruited all that heavily, but there's also been a recent tradition of Kaiko Malloy going into Salt Lake City and going into Utah to land some dudes, and he got another one of those in Void Tanufi, who I think you said he was, what, one of two players that actually played this senior season uh, of high school football, had a big year. They played in the state semifinals before they lost to Corner Canyon, which is a top-10 team nationally. Uh, But I think that, you know, with Void, here's a guy that I think his best football just started to get played his senior year, and he's only going to continue to get better as a college player at when he's in there at Washington and he continues to get to develop for the Huskies, uh, a guy that I think is still a little bit raw technique-wise, but you can't argue his production. No, not at all. I think he had 130 tackles and like 14 sacks this year. 
Um, just was kind of Mr. Everything for them up front, was all over the place. Brandon, one of the reasons a lot of people think that uh, he's a guy who deserves a fourth star, and I, you know, I don't want to get in those arguments or anything or dig too deep on this, but is one of the reasons why he is he is a guy who hasn't gotten up to four stars. Because when you project these, you project guys, hey, we want we're projecting guys for the NFL and how they're gonna have success. So when you're projecting that, is it because he isn't the tallest guy in the world being only about 6'2"? Well, he's a productive high school player. I mean, that's yes. the thing. You look at it from a stats, uh, a stats perspective, then he certainly has all the, the makings, but it's still a matter of, from a physical standpoint, is he quite that size where he's going to be an NFL first round or an NFL draft pick, or is he just going to be a solid college guy? So, again, I think he might be more of a victim of circumstance of not being able to see how big and athletic he truly is in person. So that's why we're crossing our fingers that as of now, the Polynesian Bowl has not been canceled. He's scheduled to play in the Polynesian Bowl, and that'll be kind of our last chance to see some of the guys that have played their senior season, the last opportunity. But in his case, it might be one of the first opportunities to be seen in person by any of the members of the 24-7 recruiting staff. Now let's move on to Kuope Hapa, a kid out of Kamehameha High School, 6'3", 295 pounds, uh, big dude. Uh, actually, he's 6'3", two, uh, 305 pounds, sorry about that. And uh, big dude, can can move, can play on either side of the ball, and that's where, where Washington only took two offensive linemen in this class. There is a possibility that either Pehapa or C.O.C. Finau, who we'll talk about in a second from Renton High School, could move over to that side of the ball because they are successful offensive linemen as well. But Pehapa is coming in as a defensive lineman to the University of Washington. Big kid, can hold the point, but not a guy who's going to get you a ton of penetration, at least from what I've noticed. Uh, what I see is a guy who's a very versatile position player, you know, and and, and not to, to make a comparison because of how the result was. But remember, when Sama Palma came from Hawaii two years ago, there was a talk. He could be an offensive lineman. He could be a defensive lineman. He had the ability to play at a high level on either side of the ball. And I know that some of his offers were as an offensive guard, as an interior lineman, because coaches loved the way he ran blocking. They loved the way he played as an inside guy, but his heart's on defense. He wants to be a defensive tackle. He wants to play on the defensive side of the ball. He wants to be a little more of a hammer than a nail. And I think that, you know, he's one of those players that because he's a very technically sound offensive lineman, I think that's going to really translate to a higher level as a college player on the defensive side of the ball because, you know, he's not a guy who's just playing offensive line because he's the biggest lineman on his team. He's a guy that's playing offensive line because he's really good at it. So he's going to know tendencies that interior <coughs> excuse me, that interior offensive linemen have, and I think that's going to work to his advantage with his strength but also with his football IQ. Don't worry, folks. He doesn't have the COVID. We're good. We're okay. <laughs> hey, I tested negative this week. You did? Okay. Why, why, what were you getting tested for? I got a foundation trip coming up to oh, Alaska. Okay. I had to get the test before. And we are going to we are going to talk about the foundation here at the end of this. Uh, so definitely stay tuned for that as well. Siosi Finau, out of Renton High School, the DB Cooper of this class. We're still not 100% sure he exists, right? I mean, we haven't seen him in person. Have I ever told my, uh, <laughs> oh, what was our guy's name? Grayson Gunheim, my Grayson yep. Gunheim story. Yep. No, I think I've told no. that before. So when Grayson Gunheim was a junior in high school, I was still living in Southern California. He was at Annalee High School in Sebastopol, which as a Southern Californian, I wasn't convinced really even existed. And even for four or five years, I wasn't entirely sure that he was a real player. 
But what I do remember is I was on a flight back from Los Angeles and Grayson Gunheim was sitting in the same row as me across the aisle from me. And we started talking and I told him my story about how I wasn't even convinced that he was really real. He shook my hand, said, I'm real. And I said, yes, I've watched your career. He's like, I got that a lot. People didn't know that I really existed because people didn't think Annalie or Sebastopol really existed. Well, I know Renton does exist because I worked in <laughs> Renton for a number of years. So I know that there is a Renton High School. Still can't convince me, though, Scott, that COC Finale is real. I guess the, the really the best way to, to describe him is, you know, how big is he really? Because yeah. if you remember, the guy – I mean, I get people putting on weight in the COVID era. But this guy put on like 80 pounds in a matter of four or five days based on what his huddle was listed at the morning he got the offer from the, from the Huskies to what he was by the time you talked to some high school coaches until the time you talked to FSP – Till the time where he is now, it was like from 220 to about 300. So that changes the game. Is he a 6'2", 220-pounder? Is he a 6'2", 300-pounder? Is he a 6'2", 260-pounder? We kept the difference. What exactly is he? And so he was a player we would have liked to have seen play a senior season to have a better gauge for what kind of player he is when we knew really how big he truly was. So, again, there's still a lot of question marks on him because we're still not even sure entirely what his actual size is and where he really best projects. And uh, speaking of question marks, the two Husky linebackers in this class, both are talented kids, but we have some question marks. The first question mark with Will Latu out of Bethel High School is, what's his heart saying to us? I mean, when when we saw him as a freshman, we thought this is a surefire four-star kid. He's going to get offers from all over the place. He's instinctive. He runs. He's physical. He does all that stuff. Then – as a sophomore, regresses. Then as a junior, nah, he just didn't – he looked like a guy. He did not look like a, a guy that would be pursued by a ton of high-end Power 5 schools. And then all of a sudden, we see him at COVID-7s, and he looks like a different kid. And I'll tell you what. I give all the credit in the world to Will for really kind of seeing that he was trending in the wrong direction and, to his credit, worked his tail off over a few months span to get back to being the player that we thought he was going to be when he was a top 100 player early on in his career. And I mean, he'd be one of the first to tell you that he probably underachieved and didn't have the kind of seasons in the middle of his high school career that he would have been trending towards as a freshman. There was once a time where it, it was still a pretty significant gap, but there was once a time where people said when they were going into their freshman year in high school, that JT and Will Latu might be the two best players coming into the freshman class in the state of Washington. And obviously you had the emergence of the Mecca Buka, Sam Hewer, and other guys in that time, but that's how highly touted Will Latu was coming out of middle school, going into high school, and he stagnated a bit. I think a big part of what he did to reinvent himself was he saw his brother Peter, who was one of the most physically gifted players in the state of Washington in the 2020 class, committed to Oregon, but ultimately never signed with the Ducks and is now at Snow College in Utah. He saw what happened when his brother kind of squandered the opportunity to go play in the Pac-12, didn't get it done academically, didn't get it done in the classroom, didn't get it done on the field. And I think Will wanted to avoid going that same route. So to his credit, he buckled down, reinvented himself physically, buckled down academically. And now he's got an opportunity to play at the hometown school, which always seemed to be where his heart was at, even when he had other schools pursuing him. And Peter, just a little reference to him. He's the guy you, he's one of those guys you want getting off the bus first. I mean, that Absolutely. guy, I mean, six, what was he? Six, four, almost six, five, 215 pounds. 
Yeah, roughly that with just range, ball skills, where he could play safety, he, he could do play anything. linebacker. Yeah, he really yeah. could. And, and it's sad that he that he wasted it. Hopefully he doesn't. Hopefully he gets what he needs to get done and, and ends up playing somewhere, maybe not Oregon, but wherever he ends up, hopefully he has some success. All right, moving on. Uh, Maurice Hines, here's another guy with a little bit of question mark, not because we don't think he could be a good player, just because we don't even know what kind of a player he could be. He, he's a kid who hails from uh, Germany, comes over uh, either a little late or because of transfer rules, whatever the reasons why. He's at Santa Margarita Catholic and uh, isn't able to play varsity football, so goes out on the uh, on, on the JV teams. He has a pretty good season uh, of playing American football for, I think it was only the second year he had ever played American football. And uh, this year he was hoping to have a, blow up season didn't happen because there were no camps because there were no there is no season hopefully there will be a senior season for him because he's not going to enroll early at the university of washington six five 235 pounds a physically imposing impressive looking kid but we have no idea what to expect out of him the hamburg husky if i remember right he was from (laughs) hamburg germany uh what i think you know is the most intriguing part of him is like i mentioned a little earlier with robert worsh is because he's still relatively new to the game there's not a lot of bad habits there what he doesn't necessarily have right now is a great feel and understanding for football just yet but he's got plenty of athleticism and a lot of upside there physically to be excited about i got to see him in february at the under armor camp down in southern california and it would be fascinating to watch him in the one-on-ones he would blow by the offensive tackle get past them and make a beeline to go get to what you thought was the tackling dummy that was standing in as the quarterback. Instead, he would go back to engage contact with the offensive lineman. It was almost as if he felt, hey, I got away from the lineman. He's still supposed to be blocking me. I need to let him blocking, block me. And then the tackle would just take him right out of the play, and the offensive lineman would win the rep ultimately. So that's the kind of stuff he's still learning the game. He didn't get to play varsity football last year because of the transfer rule. So, you know, he still hasn't played in varsity film. When you watch this film, you're watching against JV players in Orange County. If you're a good transfer football player in Orange County, you're playing on varsity. So it wasn't like he was playing the best of the best. Thankfully, he at least looked like he was a dominant player at the JV level. But a player that I think is just all oozing of upside and a player that I think Pete Kwiatkowski is going to have fun developing over the next couple of years. You probably aren't going to see him do much in 21, maybe not 2022 either, but 2023 is when I think you'll start to see the Hamburg Husky really get kicking. All right. Three, last three guys, they're all secondary players. And Washington has had a lot of success developing NFL defensive backs. I think they have the most defensive backs in the NFL over the past 10 years or something like that. It's it's a ridiculous amount of guys that they've sent to the NFL and and they've got a couple more guys who are probably headed there in Elijah Molden and Keith Taylor. But um, yeah, Vince Nunley uh, is a is a it looks like he's projected as a safety. Then you have mm-hmm. Dyson McCutcheon, a slot corner, looks like Miles Bryant to me, it's kind of same build, same stickiness as a cover guy. And then Zachary Spears, a guy who's 6'2", over 200 pounds, could end up playing corner, but could also end up playing safety. Brandon, give me your thoughts on those three guys and how you see them fitting in and why maybe they aren't rated as high as maybe some of the other. I mean, obviously, there were some pretty talented guys that Washington missed on, but they 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 got on these guys pretty quick and ended up really liking them enough to bring them in. 
Yeah, I think, you know, in the case of Dyson McCutcheon, the question is durability. He's had some injury issues. He's not the biggest guy in the world, not necessarily, uh, you know, a guy who's built like some of the other corners that the Huskies have had, like a Byron Murphy or like a Kevin King, even a Keith Taylor. Uh, shoot, even Zachary Spears in the same class. But he's a damn good football player. I, if you remember, you know, his father, Daylon, played at USC in the mid-90s and then was in the NFL, played for the Cleveland Browns. His grandfather, Lawrence, was a longtime NFL scout, played in the NFL as well. So he's a third-generation college football player and, you know, potentially NFL guy. So football is in his blood. And so I think he's got, you know, just a, an extra, you know, bit of football IQ, too, to go along with his ability. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. Uh, another guy in that class that you mentioned, Zakari Spears. He committed relatively early in the process, overshadowed a bit, too, at Loyola High School by Sierra Wright, who's a top 100 player nationally, uh, the top cornerback in the Southland, and a guy that I think is you know, a phenomenal player, not to mention he's an actor. He's going to be in Space Jam, too. So a lot of attention is, fit, is placed on Sierra Wright. But Zachary Spears, a good football player that I got to see at the All-American Combine when he was a sophomore, saw him a little bit on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit, and a player who just didn't see any reason to kind of go through the recruiting process that long when he already knew where he wanted to go. Uh, and then Nunley, another player that I've seen a ton over the last three years on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. I've uh, got to see him play for KT Prep as a corner early on in his career. Then ultimately he slid in to play safety, a player that used to be at Incidental High School in Alameda before he moved to Freedom High School in Oakley in the offseason. So with the lack of an evaluation period, I think, and, and plus the move, I think he got lost in the shuffle a bit, but uh, a player that I think has got some great positional versatility, could be a corner, could be a safety, but I think he projects best as a safety at the next level. All right, that wraps it up. 15 players, seven on offense, eight on defense uh, for the Washington Huskies. Their uh, class is ranked 30th overall in the country. I know people were expecting a lot higher, obviously missing out on Emeka Egbuka and very likely JT Tool Malau put a little bit of a damper on that. But overall, Brandon, just give me your thoughts on the class. You look from a balance standpoint, a talent standpoint. Do you think this class is one that just is Washington can use as a foundational uh, as a foundational class? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, given the circumstances with a new head coach and a new staff, for you know, for the most part, a lot of returning places, but a lot of returning faces, but some new guys like a John Donovan, like a Durham Cato, where you have you know, an offense that they never got to display during the spring. They never got to display during fall practice and guys are making decisions. You know, when you have a new staff in place, I think Washington, Washington state and Colorado all kind of suffered even more than maybe other schools did with the pandemic, because this was their chance to kind of show what the new staff could do before the season. And so I think you have to still be happy. You still got the number one quarterback in the country who is a legacy. And more importantly, I think you got some key needs filled on the offensive line with a you know interior guy and a tackle, you got some really good defensive line and you got some good defensive backs. I, I think you know obviously if they were to get a Mecca, uh, that would have probably really made Husky fans happy. And if they got JT, it would make them giddy. But still, a chance to get a top ten, top twelve player nationally in Sam Hewitt, a five star quarterback, can make a lot of classes look really good and feel really good about the efforts. All right, Brandon, well, we've wrapped up the 2021 recruiting class. We've got a couple minutes left. Let's talk about the 2022 and 2023 classes. Just give people what people's appetite a little bit, because you always know that the second the class is signed, you're always looking forward to the next one, right? If you're a recruit, Nick. So um, 2022, the state is loaded with offensive linemen. There's six guys like you, uh, like you've uh, been, been saying on the boards and on your Twitter that six guys that already have power five offers 
Um, and Washington has offered five of those guys. Um, the top guy in the state is Josh Conner- Connerly, a 6'5", 6'6", 200, and what is he, 270? 275? Yeah, 270, 275 with basketball feet. He's got great footwork. I mean, this is a guy who still was relatively new to the position. He was a defensive lineman when he first got to high school. And I remember going to, to Rainier Beach High School right before one of his first practices on varsity and going to visit with Corey Sampson, Nate Kalepo said, huh, Josh Connerly, that's the dude. That's the next dude. And it was a year later when I saw him against Higley High School of Arizona when they came out to play beach and they had a four-star defensive end, Jason Harris, who's now at Colorado. And Connerly ate his lunch, even though Beach lost that game and pretty bad. Uh, Connerly was the bright spot of that game. And I left the field that night when he was a sophomore in September saying that's the best player in the 2022 class in the state of Washington. And he didn't even have an offer at that point. Now he's got a kind of a who's who's list of offers from the Pac-12 and around the country. Ohio State, Alabama, Washington, Oregon, USC, basically you name it. He's probably got a top. He's probably got an offer from him. So um, Washington's right in the middle in the mix for him. Malik Agbo is a big time kid out of Todd Beamer High School. He's a we have him as a tackle, I think, in in our database. But I, I see a guy who could be a really good guard. And I think, honestly, his body is trending him towards being an interior guy. He's gotten yeah. bigger. He's gotten thicker. And, and not necessarily all in a good way. You know, he's still decently athletic. But I think he's a guy that's going to end up sliding inside the playing the guard spot. And that's really where I think he'd flourish and be able to use a little bit more of that athleticism with that strength and size as a run blocker. Um, Washington already has two commits. Chance Bogan, a tight end prospect, big wide receiver prospect out of Lincoln High School down there in Tacoma. And then you have uh, Jeremy Bernard out of out of uh, Nevada, Henderson, Liberty High School out there. And uh, big time kid. I mean, uh, just um, Washington got in on him early and he's never not been thinking about Washington, it seems like. Yeah, I got a chance to see Jeremy back in the spring on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit when he was playing with FSP. In fact, he was one of the receivers playing with Sam Hewer that day. Uh, they had, I think, three or four out-of-state players on their team that day. Bernard, Maliki Matavau, Troy Franklin. And Jeremy is the one that had a really good connection with Troy. And, you know, kind of opening some doors there with the uh, Troy Fontenau recruitment a couple years ago. Now they've got a commitment from Bernard and a couple of his teammates at Liberty have been up in recent weeks and now have Husky offers. So not only do you get a receiver in Bernard that's a top five player in a very loaded, very, very loaded class in the state of Nevada. I think there's nine four-star and five-star players in the state of Nevada 2022 class. Is that the most ever for them? I I think by far it's the most ever. It's a special crop there in Vegas. And he's a top five player in the state. But then he's also got a little bit of a Pied Piper effect where he's got a couple of teammates that the Huskies are after that he could end up bringing with him and and joining Troy uh, up at Washington. Um, But a player that I think, you know, he's got all the physical tools to to be a impact receiver in college. All right. Last uh, but not least, 2023 and a guy we already talked about, Jaden Wayne out of of Lincoln High School. He's 6'5". He's about 235, 240 at this point. Might have put on a little bit more weight over the offseason and everything like that. Plays tight end for Lincoln, does play defensive end, but he's going to be a he's, – he's arguably the best player in the state uh, for 2023 and likely will be there, but uh, there's some other guys he's going to be battling with. Absolutely. It's a good class of DBs in there, but it might be one of his own teammates who's actually the quarterback at Lincoln yep. who's going to be the toughest competition, Jabari Johnson, 
as of now, Jaden Wayne is the number one player in the state of Washington, already been selected to play in the All-American Bowl in 2023. He played as a freshman last year for uh, Lincoln High School, offered by the Huskies kind of as a jumbo athlete, where they're going to kind of see where his body goes over the next couple of years with the ability to be the tight end, maybe be a defensive end, uh, but a guy that you offer and just kind of figure out what position he's going to play later before other schools get involved. There's also, like I said, Jabari Johnson, who's the number two dual threat guy who just has needed a chance to be the starter at Lincoln High School and a player that I'm very high on. And then you also have a couple of corners in this class. Only one's ranked in the top 100 right now. That's Josiah Wagner out of Spanaway Lake. Uh, but there's three FBS corners in the state of Washington this year, or in that class. You've got, obviously, Josiah Wagner, as I mentioned. You had Caleb Presley, who just missed the top 100 out of Eastside Catholic. And then you have Jonathan Landry down at Evergreen High School in Vancouver, who's got a handful of offers as well. So you don't necessarily expect to see three kind of high-level corners in the state. I think the last time you had you know, even two top 247 corners or defensive backs in the state was the Trayshawn Harrison, Kyler Gordon year in 2018. Yeah, and now yeah. this 2023 class already has three guys emerging before they played it down in their sophomore season. And Trayshawn wasn't even being recruited. He was re- being recruited by sc- most schools for offense because that's what he wanted to play, even though Correct. we had him rated as a DB. So, yeah. Um, all right, Brandon, thank you so much. Let's wrap this up. Tell us a little bit about your foundation. Um, you've got a lot coming up. You just told us that you took a COVID test so you could fly up to Alaska. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on with the Avery Strong uh, Foundation. Yeah, we've got some exciting news coming up in the early part of January that I think is really going to allow our foundation to kind of take itself to the next level. Some stuff that we're really excited to announce. So be on the lookout for that in the in the coming weeks. Uh, but some stuff that'll give people an opportunity to, if they haven't already been involved, get involved with what we're doing. And that's to continue to share Avery's story, to continue to to share about her fight and to find a cure for this monster. Even in a year where our biggest event, our Be Strong Go Go Gala. Uh, took a backseat because of the pandemic. We still raised uh, nearly $40,000 for cancer research specifically. And we're really excited about the news we have coming in the weeks ahead that I think is really going to show, you know, our commitment to honoring Avery, honoring her legacy, but continue to fight back against this monster. All right, Brandon, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate all that you do for us here on Dogman and on the 247 Network overall. Uh, good luck to you to, over the next couple days as uh, you try to unwind after a busy, busy, weird recruiting cycle. So uh, for Brandon Huffman, I'm Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.